Hello and welcome to Horror Court Trash Shovel, the show that discusses all the masterpieces and trash the pieces of genre cinema. I'm Gary. And I'm Chris. And we're back with another unusual episode for us. I don't know if it's unusual anymore. We, we do these weird little tangents every now and then. I think this is broader than any other episode yeah. we've done. And I, I'm excited. I'm excited for this. Yeah. Uh, so this was requested by uh, Andy Finlay, who is the millennial uh, movie buff on Instagram. Did I just say that right? Uh, millennial millennial, mo- millennial movie, yeah. movie buff. Great. So, yeah, so this is requested by him, uh, and we are discussing Blumhouse, the production company uh, responsible for some of the masterpieces and trash the pieces of the last 10 years. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's on brand. It's on brand. Very on brand. Um, so let's start off, because we've got a lot to get through. So let's start off with uh, some some fan interactions. We'll start with Andy himself, because uh, basically the fan interactions this week are people's best and worst of Blumhouse. Uh, so we're going to read those lists out first before we get going. So Andy's best was Whiplash, The Invisible Man, Black Klansman, Happy Death Day, and Unfriended Dark Web. A film that's not in a lot of people's mm, best that's lists. That's an unusual choice. It is. His worst is Ouija, The Gallows Act 2, Green Inferno. Paranormal Activity to Ghost Dimension and You Should Have Left, which I believe was actually released this year. Oh. We haven't seen yet. We, we didn't get to watch every single Blumhouse. Yeah, now. let's just, just as a, um, a not a warning, uh, whatever word I'm looking for, um, we haven't watched every single Blumhouse film that was ever released. Yeah. Um, the Gallows Act 2, I refuse to watch. <laughs> so it's not going to be on my list. And also, we'll just be discussing uh, the Blumhouse films because we haven't really seen enough of the TV shows, yeah. any of the book. I believe they've done some books and, um, you know, listen to enough of the podcast to uh, go into details about it. I, I feel wrong going into it and know not enough about it. Yeah. Like, whereas yeah. I've done hours of research on the film, so... We might as well talk about that. Yeah. Because that's what we know. Um, but, I mean, one shout out is for Attack of the Queer Wolf. They're a, a Blumhouse podcast and they're fantastic. So, go they, listen to they them. They work for Blumhouse. Yes. Yeah. 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 Yeah, that's a really great podcast, actually. Uh, so, Zacky Zack Attack on Instagram said, Halloween is his favourite Blumhouse film, and The Darkness is his least favourite. I mean, I can see that The Darkness is a fucking miserable time. <laughs> uh, I am Melissa Carr on Instagram. Uh, she said that she's excited. Well, excited. She said it's a really good idea uh, that we're doing Blumhouse <laughs> for an episode. So, thank you. Thank she's, you. She's excited as well. Uh, it's a good uh, idea yeah. that she's excited. Um, so her favourites are uh, Insidious, Sinister, Oculus and, Gle- and Get Out. Uh, her ultimate favourite is Split. And uh, worst, she said, is Fantasy Island and Ouija. <laughs> should, we, should we take a shot every time someone says Ouija? Is their worst, yeah. worst yeah. blowhouse film? Yeah. <laughs> Be on the floor. Maz, upcoming special guest on the podcast, hates the Invisible Man. Yeah, maybe we should ask her when she. Uh, I, I, we need to know why. We need to we'll put her on the spot on the episode because we both really enjoyed that film, and <laughs> it was quite funny. As soon as Maz told us that, we had another comment straight after from Killian H Gore on Instagram. He said, "The Invisible Man rules." <laughs> um, very divisive films. I yeah. I found. Oh, Blumhouse is very. I mean, we're going to sit here and we're going to you know talk about some absolute masterpieces. And we're going to talk about some absolute dog shit. We're talking about Oscar-winning films. Yeah. And some of the worst films we've ever seen. Exactly. Um, Daniel from Creepy Crap Podcast, before we go into his um, comments and messages, he has released that 50th episode now that we're yes. on, uh, talking about Rocky Horror Picture. So go and have a listen to that. Show him some love. The Creepy Crap Podcast. Yes. Thank you. Did I not say it right? No. I'm just, just not getting words. So we've got a, a long episode to get through. <laughs> I just wanted to get it out slower so people could hear. So he didn't realise Whiplash was Blumhouse at first. Ah, well, it's, it, I mean, it's off-brand. Very, it? very off-brand. off-brand. Um, Blumhouse is synonymous with... Low-budget horror. Low-budget horror yeah. that does very well. Mm-hmm. You know, that that's what it does. It, it, really, the, the William Castle... Of yeah, modern yeah, times, I suppose. you know. Uh, his favourites are Sinister and Whiplash, and his worst are Truth or Dare, which we know we listened to his episode on Truth or Dare. We were very aware of how much you hate that, <laughs> and how much you hate Lucy Hale. Um, and Daniel, you're breaking my heart. Happy Death Day to you. 
I adore Happy Death Day to you. Happy Death Day to you is not... A masterpiece. Yeah, well, it, it's not the same as the first film. Like, no. I can see why some would be yeah. disappointed. If, if you really enjoyed the first one for what it was, I can see why you'd not like the second yeah, it film. It goes into... It goes insane. Yeah, but it, it goes off on a little bit of a tangent. It does, really. it does. It's more of a sci-fi. We're, we're going to get to that yeah. later on. Uh, previous guest of the podcast, Cameron from Killer Flick, said his favourites are Sinister, Upgrade, Halloween... Insidious, Bloodline, and Unfriended. And his least favourites are The Gallows, Unfriended Dark Web, Black Christmas, Truthful Dare, and Sinister 2. He hasn't seen Ouija, so it doesn't no. count. <laughs> I'll take one out for that. Watch it and it'll be on there. Um, uh, my friend Luke, who is Vegan Luke on Instagram, his best is Whiplash, The Invisible Man, The Purge, Anarchy, Get Out and Sinister. It's nice to see The Purge, Anarchy on there. Yeah. The best Purge film. Yeah, it is actually. And his worst <laughs> is The Gallows, Area 51, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension, The Darkness, and of course, Ouija. <laughs> uh, I'm saving the longest list till last. Um, Jackson Ramsey from Wizard Gore sent me about 20 messages because he couldn't decide on his best. Uh, but I'll go over his worst straight away because he, he, he did that in one go. It's The Gallows, Black Christmas, Truth or Dare, uh, The Darkness, and Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. Of course. His best, he refused to give a top five, he gave a top ten. Oh. Uh, it's <laughs> Oculus, number one. So this is one to ten. Oculus, The Invisible Man, Happy Death Day, Halloween, Split, Ouija, Orig uh, Origin of Evil, Exeter, Sinister, Insidious, and The Purge Election Year. I quite enjoyed that one as well, actually. Yeah, so election some year. very good lists there, guys. Don't yes. don't disagree with uh, many of them. No. Thanks, thanks for sending them in. Yeah, thank you. Uh, as always, you know, send us some interaction for next week to read out. We're Horrorcourt Trash over on Facebook and Instagram. Horrorcourt Trash on Twitter. So keep on coming. Um, do you want to go first with your best and worst? I'll go with my best and worst. Um, so my best is... Um, from five to one, uh, Invisible Man, Split, Black Klansman, Get Out, and Whiplash. And then my bottom five, from best to worst, that sounds weird to say it, but is <laughs> Ouija. Best. <laughs> Take a shot. <laughs> well, it's the best of the worst. Uh, Paranormal Activity, Ghost Dimension, Amityville, The Awakening, The Gallows, and Black Christmas. Yes, uh, mine, uh, five to one best is Sinister, Get Out, Black Klansman, The Invisible Man and Whiplash. And my worst, from best to worst, <laughs> is Area 51, Ouija, Amateurville, The Awakening, Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension and Black Christmas. So, now that we've put you in a picture of what is the best and worst of Blumhouse... <laughs> yes. Shall we get into it? Yeah. Well, what's your history with Blumhouse, just so briefly? my history would what have been... What was the first been... Blumhouse film you watched? Well, it had been Paranormal Activity. Yeah. And that that film absolutely blew me away when I first watched it. Yeah, I've, I've lowered my rating a bit since I first watched it, but I still think it's an effective horror film. And it just completely got me. It was so low budget. In the same way that Blair Witch did when I first watched that. Um, and then Insidious came out and... I think that's phenomenal. I think that's one of the best modern day haunted house films. And then Sinister came out and then I started seeing the Blumhouse logo at the start of these films. And I, I, I didn't click at first until a few more. And then I saw them. I was like, okay, this is the same company releasing all these films. Mm. And I, I became a really big fan of them. Uh, I mean, a lot of the films at the time I just tolerated, look back on now and they're like, oh, Jesus. But, you know, they're, they're a, big part of my favourite films list over the past 10 years. So many of the films have made it onto that. I mean, Whiplash is one of my favourite films of all time. Mm. It's it's a masterpiece. Um, uh, but again, you know, they're also responsible for a lot of trash. But yeah, so I, I kind of just went and seen every Blumhouse film that's released since Paranormal Activity. And uh, yeah, that's my history. We know what yours is. It's my fault. It's all my fault. Yeah, I... <laughs> Being honest, I'd never really heard of Blumhouse until I met Gary. I'd heard of the films individually. Uh, I'd absolutely heard of Whiplash and, and Get Out and, you know, Split and sort of Paranormal Activity, all, all that business. Um, but I'd never really watched them. Mm. Um, I wasn't really interested in modern horror. Um, call me a snob. 
if you like. Um, but it, it just never really interested me. I, I watched a lot of older films. Um, I was still trying to catch up on all of those. So I wasn't really into modern horror. Um, and the ones I had watched, I'd always been quite disappointed in. So I'd never heard of Blumhouse. And then I met Gary and then this Blumhouse kept coming up and this Blumhouse film, this Blumhouse film. I was like, oh shit, okay. Um, maybe I'm a fan. Would you say they're responsible of piquing your interest in modern horror? Um, yeah, I would say yes. But take in mind, we've also had the likes of A24. Yes. So... The, my looking at my top five, one, two, potentially three of those aren't even horror films, really. Yeah. Um. So I don't. I don't know. I don't. I'm still not even sure how interested I am in modern horror. <laughs> to be fair, I, I I like my classics. I like my classic horror. Um. So I'm not sure. They're very much a part of it, and A twenty four as well. I just don't know if. I would be as interested if I hadn't met you. <laughs> mm. But I think with films like Get Out and I think you, being a horror fan, I think you wouldn't have had much choice other than to be interested because it's such an important... Yeah. But then also the moment it won the Oscar for Best Screenplay, mm. then it would have piqued my interest. Yeah, that's, that's what I mean. And I would have yeah. wanted yeah. to have watched that. Yeah. So um, either, no matter which way you look at it, they're a very important part in modern cinema. Not yeah. just horror cinema, in modern cinema, they're a massive part now. But at no point would I have seen the poster for the gallows no, and been no, like, no. I've got to watch that. No. Never. So, um, some trivia facts about Blumhouse. They were founded in 2000 by Jason Blum in Los Angeles. He originally uh, worked as a distributor at Miramax. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> 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 They've uh, they've they've spawned obviously films, TV shows, books, podcasts, and even their own scare mazes at Universal Studios. Oh, nice! Um, obviously, the the things where you walk around and people jump out and scream in your face. Um, they've got their divisions. They've got haunted movies, Blumhouse Till, Blumhouse International, Blumhouse TV, and of course Blumhouse Blumhouse Books. Um, so they've they've sort of gone off into their own little. Um, areas as well their own yeah. little smaller companies it's a huge brand it, now. it is the blumhouse is. name means a lot now yeah the, the purpose of blumhouse is to produce low budget films uh give directors creative freedom and release them wide through the studio system and that's such a admirable idea mm-hmm. it, it really is i mean you know we obviously we attend fright we attend fright fest all the time and there's so many films that don't get distribution deals some really great films that don't get distribution deals or takes years and the fact that this massive studio who have won oscars mm. are going out there and giving small time directors their chance to hit the big time with these low budget films is great and also um, established directors who have maybe yeah, fallen yeah, off the path. Absolutely. You like M. Night Shyamalan with Split. They rebuilt his career. Exactly. Yeah. I uh, mean, he ruined it with class. He ruined well, um, Yeah. <laughs> you, you just can't. You can't. <laughs> you can only help people yeah, so much. Sometimes you just can't help people. <laughs> um, they, they have a rule, and I really like this rule, that no original film will go over $5 million. So something like Halloween... Um, and let's say Amateurville The Awakening they'll give a bit of a higher budget for because it's not original it's it's fallen on some ass but films like uh, say like I mean terrible example but Ouija uh, and even Whiplash you know they're given five million to make their films and the results for some of them is, is fantastic yeah. and I, I just feel it's so interesting that they've got that minimum budget yeah I'm, I'm surprised I would be surprised if they told Spike Lee how much she was allowed to spend for Black Klansman, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah, how much was the budget for Black Klansman? Yeah, I don't... Oh, but no, but that wouldn't count. That no. wouldn't count because it's based on a book. Oh, okay. Oh, I see. So, so yeah, so we had a higher budget for that. Yeah. Some of them use under that budget. Some of these I was quite impressed by. The budgets have been so fascinating to read. Um, but starting off, they released some dramas, romantic comedies and such. They released Griffin Phoenix, uh, The Fever, The Darwin Awards and Graduation um, between 2006 and 2008. And then in 2007, a little unknown film called Paranormal Activity made it onto the festival um, circuit. 
Yeah. And uh, didn't get a distribution deal until 2009. And that distribution deal was through Blumhouse. Well, they produced it, obviously, but they got it big time with Paramount mm -hmm. in 2009. So and horror film was changed forever. <laughs> for the good or worse. What okay. they call a cultural I know, reset. Look, I know you're not the biggest fan of Paranormal Activity, but can mm -hmm. you acknowledge what how important it was for the genre at the oh, time? Oh, absolutely. But... For every good film that's come from that... Comes a thousand rip-offs. Comes a thousand yeah. rip-offs. Oh, my God. Cheap shit. Jesus, the amount of found footage films that come from this, it blows my mind. It absolutely blows my mind. I mean, you know, found footage, I'd like to do a full episode on it eventually, but, you you, you know, you had Cannibal Holocaust, uh, technically Peeping Tom, Cannibal Holocaust... Um, and then that led to Ghost Watch, and then that led to Alien Abduction, then that led to Blair Witch, and you see there's these massive gaps in between them. They, they all they all had the same idea, mm. but there's these massive gaps in between them. Paranormal Activity came out, and found footage was like ah, it was there. It did not stop. No, it was screaming in your face each way you looked, and some of the stuff was fucking. Dire. I remember I watched a film called Paranoid Activity 2. It didn't have a first film. And I used to watch this shit because I'm me. Um, and <laughs> this was literally a bunch of people who had smoked some weed, thinking they heard the ghost in the kitchen, going into the kitchen, going back to the sofa, smoking some weed, going back to the kitchen for an hour and 20 minutes straight. It was a fucking disaster. That's, that's the type of shit you get. Do you know what is actually really influenced as well? What? Is this whole YouTube <laughs> found footage crap. YouTube hey, I was watching YouTube sensations the year before this of real ghosts. Yeah, but this has really brought it about as well. And I just... I commend anyone who can bring out a film like that and make it a success uh, on such a low budget... Yeah. But the problem is because it's such a low budget and it's a genre that doesn't need a big budget, mm. we have every fucking Tom, Dick and Harry under the sun mm -hmm. making their own there's an alien in my back garden video and posting it everywhere. You're not wrong. <laughs> so <laughs> it was made for $15,000 and grossed over $193 million worldwide. <sighs> that is something else. It is. Uh, it was written, directed, produced, and photographed by Oren Pelly, and starred Katie Featherston and Mika Slow in the lead roles as themselves, essentially. Um, none of the three have really gone on to bigger things. <laughs> no. This is a shame. Katie Featherston's a fantastic actress. Um, you know, she'll be typecast though. She, she she was in the River, a Bluehouse TV show I watched ages ago. Um, yeah, other than that, she's not been in much, other than Paranormal Activity. She she kind of became the, uh, the face of that franchise, would yeah. you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. She she has a reoccurring role throughout the series. Um, so it's, it's, yeah, essentially. She's kind of the Jamie Lee for Halloween. Yeah. She pops up every now and again, don't she? Yeah, and then Oren Pelly, he promised an Area 51 fan footage film that was going to be amazing, straight after Paranormal Activity. It took years to be released. I haven't done a spotlight on it, so I'll mention it now. And it was fucking awful. <laughs> so bad. So, so, so bad. Glad I missed that one. All I remember is there's a strip club scene and a scene where they find this pod that's like some sort of UFO. It's so bad. It's awful. It's awful. We won't be watching that. Do you think he got lucky with Paranormal Activity? He got so lucky. He got so lucky. So, I mean, this was all brought on through an idea where his his girlfriend heard something strange in the house and he thought, oh, what would happen if, you know, something was happening whilst we were sleeping and we had no idea, which is a terrifying concept. Um, but, yeah, he definitely got lucky. This is a fluke, by far. He produced Insidious. I mean, you know, hands down, he produced... It, but I mean, I don't know how far that went. Yeah, sometimes know? producing means just signing a few checks. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Paranormal Activity spawned six sequels. One of them is upcoming, and a video game. Really? Yeah, Paranormal Activity 7 oh, in 2022. Uh, and a video game as well. Oh, so, God, a video game? Yeah, on um, VR. Like The Sims? <laughs> no, oh, VR. VR, yeah. Oh, it worked like The Sims. <laughs> well... I mean, the Paranormal Activity sequels, uh, I prefer Paranormal Activity 3 over Paranormal Activity 1. 
the one I think I set, do. The one I set in the eighties. Yes, yes, yeah. I do. Yes, that's that's a great film. Yeah, um, that's, that's decent. But then you have something like Paranormal Activity: The Ghost Dimension and Paranormal Activity Four that are absolutely dire. Yeah, I hated Ghost Dimension. And I, the series as a whole, it's a bit of a running joke between me and Gary. Um, I just find it all the same over and over again. Um, I know you disagree, but I, I just think it's the same concept and the same, oh, somebody's pulled my sheets off in the middle <laughs> of the night. Oh, this girl's walking weird on a fucking banister oh oh, what's going on in this house oh i'm gonna have this camera attached to my fucking face for the whole fucking time i don't fully disagree that oh my god it drives me insane shaky camera work as well i hate it gives me a headache i can only stand it in the blair witch because the blair witch is you know a very good film it i'm intrigued i'm you know I, i forget about the camera work but when I feel like I'm watching the same thing over and over, I'm, I'm a little bored. So I start to notice these things. The Marked Ones does things differently um, in the way that it's not a camera set up overnight. Mm. Um, it's more someone discovering them, getting the possession, like the, the powers or so from the possession. Um, and then dealing with that and then the family around. And, and the characters feel more well-rounded in that one. It's a little more d- uh, divisive as well, isn't it? Yeah, diverse. Diverse, sorry. Um, I thought it was nice to not have to follow a... A rich white family. A rich white family. Because <laughs> they're all in big fucking houses as well. <laughs> Ridiculously big I know it's a li- I know the housing thing in America is <laughs> a little different to the UK. Uh, the houses are, are generally built bigger or whatever. But it felt like we were just following these middle-class white families <laughs> the biggest worries of <laughs> ghosts the whole popping up. time yeah <laughs> and then you had the mark ones which was which was nice because you, you got a different look at this from mm. a, a hispanic family you know and it was it was more interesting for me yeah yeah, and it has a ridiculous ending that they somehow make work without looking too ridiculous, mm. um, which has a great throwback to the first film. And it was also uh, the first, I think it was the directorial debut by Christopher Landon, who is a gay director. Um, and I say this because I don't think there's many gay directors out there in horror. Not in horror. Not, no, uh, not in mainstream Christopher horror. Landon stands out to me because... I've listened to a few interviews of his, and he's a big fan of, like, Scream and Jennifer's Body and a more camp side of horror. Mm. And it really shows in his films, and it presents that sort of energy to them. And we'll get onto him a little later on, because he's done more films with Blumhouse. But he also wrote some of the Paranormal Activity films as well, some of the sequels. Um, but he's a great filmmaker, and it really... You can see the difference when he made that film. Um, you can see the difference to all the other directors they've had. You can tell he, he cared a little more. He wanted to make it a little more fun. Um, but yeah, so we'll get on to why I'm a Christopher Landon stand a little later. Um, Paranormal Activity was filmed in 10 days. Steven Spielberg uh, tried watching it at night time, had to wait till the morning because he was too scared. And, uh, and he, he told them to change the ending. What was the original ending? The original ending was Katie being shot by the police after she'd murdered Mika. Sits in the bedroom for days on end. Oh. Um, it was more effective, I thought. Um, yeah, it's a little bit of a downer, though, isn't it? It's a little bit of a downer, but yeah. I would trust Steven Spielberg. Well, he wanted the, the CGI demon face at the end and the throwing at the camera and such. And the lead on to the sequel. Lead on to the sequels. <laughs> DreamWorks wanted to remake Paranormal Activity uh, into an actual film with well known actors, but okay. they refused to do. Yeah. That. I, I, I think if you if you had Tom Cruise running around, it would take you out of it a little bit. Yeah, yeah. You know, when, you, when you've got found footage, you need a bit of realism mm. there. And, you know, seeing someone with 10 inches of makeup yeah, running around. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Pamela Anderson running around, <laughs> chucking a boyfriend. I would love to see Chucking that. a boyfriend about isn't quite the same. It was shot all at Oren Pelly's lovely big home <laughs> that we mentioned. And uh, it was all shot on a digital camera. And people left the test screenings. Uh, people they, they thought it was because they hated the film, but then they spoke to him after, and it was because they were so terrified because of the tension. Oh, okay. Uh, and this launched a whole demand it 
um, style of release where people started demanding this film be released and they did the same with the sequels. Demand it, really? Yeah, there's a thing online where people could demand a certain film's release. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh. Now you can finally get the fan remake with I, Jessica Lang in there. Yes, I'm going to get on that. the role. Get on that straight away. Oh. And final fact about Paranormal Activity before we move on. It took over Saw at the box office. Because Saw, of course, released the film every Halloween. Paranormal Activity jumped in and did the same thing. And essentially ended the Saw franchise. Because they weren't making money anymore. Because everyone's going to see Paranormal Activity. I think Saw ended the Saw franchise. <laughs> well, Saw 3D was the last one for a while, wasn't speaking it? Before Jigsaw. Of, <laughs> speaking of uh, sequels that feel like the same thing over and over again. Oh, what, what do you prefer? Saw or Paranormal Activity? Saw. There we go. So moving on to 2010, 2010, whatever. Insidious. Now, I should mention, um, Paranormal Activity was from 2009 till present. Insidious is 2010. I'm going to say till present because there's still talk of a fifth film uh, made for $1.5 million, grossed over $99 million worldwide, directed by James Wan, director of Saw, written by Lee Wanell, writer of Saw, and starring Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, Ty Simpkins, Barbara Hershey, and Lynn Shea. So, Insidious. Tell me what you think. I liked Insidious. All four? Oh, no. Well, there, there isn't a bad one. There isn't a terrible one. There like Paranormal Activity, there's at least two. Yeah. Awful. So obviously the first two are good. Yeah. They keep the cast. Uh-huh. And did James Wan direct the second one? I think he did, yeah. Yeah, yeah. If, if he did. They, he did, he did. They kept it... The, the same yeah. and continued the story yeah. and Seconds I, after I really the first liked one them and there was some you know real good jump scares and we're not massive fans of jump mm. scares but there's some fantastic jump scares we all know the one Barbara Hershey losing yeah. his shit um, fantastic we all love we both love Lynn Shay mm-hmm. um, you know we thought she was fantastic in those films and then three loses it for me mm. It, it loses it a bit. It just felt a bit cut and dry. Uh, cut and, not cut and dry, excuse me. Cut, cut and, and paste. paste. Yeah. little cut and paste. Um, I liked the extra emphasis on Lin Shay. Um, and then we got Insidious The Last Key, which was Lin Shay's film. Yeah. Um, and based around her. And we really enjoyed that. We saw mm. it in the cinema. Um, I hadn't seen... Which ones had I seen before we saw the last The first key? one. I'd only seen We the watched first them in a weird one. order. We watched one, yeah. four, two, three. <laughs> one, four, two, three. Um, but I loved that emphasis on Lin Shay in the newest, in the last yeah. key. Again, plot wise, it doesn't, it doesn't go too far out from what the first one did. Mm. Uh, but I really liked it. And as a whole, it's good. Something that Blumhouse does well later on uh, in their career uh, is launching. These female stars that, I mean, obviously Jamie Lee Curtis is a lot different. She was a big star, but putting her back in the spotlight, they did the same here with Lynn Shea, who's never been a massive actress, shall no, we say. No, but she was a character actress. They made parts. an actress who is over 70 years old the front woman of a franchise. That is fucking amazing. I don't know if they did. Well, the fans did, but the they made it happen. Fans, they did. made it. Well, they happen. made it happen because you know they're not dumb. Yeah. But the, the Insidious, spoiler alert, she dies. Yeah. Lin Shay dies, and everybody wanted her back. Loved the character. Wanted to see more. So we saw more in part two. More in part three, and even more in the last key. Yeah. I don't know how they're going to do the new. This why. is the thing. They. I think they regret killing her off now. Yeah. Because they're, you know, you could tell with three and four, they were just looking at ways of bringing her back. And of course, four comes full circle with one. So it will be difficult now from now on. But Lynn, I think she's confirmed to be returned if they're doing a five, if they're doing a fifth film. I mean, you know, I think she, she really takes a lot of shit roles. now. She shouldn't. She's so much better than some of the roles she takes. Because, I mean, she's fantastic in this franchise. She's so likeable. Such a great actress. Um, it's just it's just remarkable. It really is remarkable that someone, a female, a female of that age, straight at the front of a horror franchise. It's amazing. It really is. It makes me so happy. I would have loved to have seen her, and it's going to sound like a joke, but, like, Murder, She Wrote? Yeah. Like, they could easily a do a TV, TV series TV like that. TV series, yeah. Yeah. you know... 
um, Ghost She Wrote or whatever. Yeah, her and Specs and Tucker. It. Her, Specs, Tucker, TV series. They solved them each episode. Yeah, yeah. Loved that. Yeah. You know, which they introduced the idea of in the third film where they had their webisode, Specs and Tucker. Yeah, imagine they did something like that, but with Lynn Shea as well. That would have been Shea great. It'd be fantastic. Um, so it spawned, uh, as we just mentioned, spawned three sequels. One maybe upcoming. Uh, it was shot in three weeks. Uh, it oh, won wow. two Fright Meter Awards: Best Picture and Best Supporting Actress for Lynn Shea. Yeah. Uh, Barbara Hershey was very good in that. Oh, film, Barbara Hershey though. was very good. I yeah, Barbara Hershey yeah. was. Fantastic. And then the second. Was this film. before or after Black Swan? What year was it? Sorry. Twenty ten, same year, wasn't it? Same year yeah. as Black Swan. That well, was a good year for Barbara Hershey. Yeah, and the thing is, Barbara Hershey's even better in a second film because as for is Lynn Shea's film. Mm. Insidious 2 is very much Barbara Hershey's film. That's her going out there to find out what's going on and yeah. getting shit done. Absolutely. So, yeah. Um, and it was made by James Wan to prove that he can make horror without any gore or violence like he did in Saw. Because he was getting a lot of stick for that. He was like, oh, you can only do horror with this and that. Uh, yeah. So he's like, oh yeah, look at this. And I remember watching this in the cinema. I was terrified. This The first two, I was really, really terrified. It is so effective. And it's like Poltergeist. And and I really like that. I You could tell it's fucking ripping off Poltergeist in, in parts. But yeah. controversial opinion, I prefer Insidious to Poltergeist. Because Poltergeist hasn't really aged well. No, Poltergeist it's, hasn't aged you know, particularly but well. But Insidious takes those elements that they went for in Poltergeist, did it in modern day with better effects, and did a really fantastic job of it. Mm. But I wasn't anywhere near as scared as I was when I went to see the next subject. Sinister. Holy shit. This film. You've watched it. I've seen it. I don't remember much about it. So, Sinister is a film about Ethan Hawke. He moves into a house of his family. They find a bunch of uh, Super 8 reels up in the attic. And there's murders of different families on these tapes. He uses this for his book that he's writing. investigates further into it. And it has... A really terrifying villain. Like, really effective villain. And this is this is up there with some of the best supernatural-based horror films of the last ten years. Are we allowed spoilers? Yes. Yes. I think I've already spoiled for Yeah. This is the one where the kids did it all. It is the one where, yeah. Uh, Yeah, Yeah, I really enjoyed Sinister. It's it's fantastic. And I'm not surprised it's on so many people's best list. It's one of my top five. This... Felt like a proper horror film. It was so refreshing. It felt like a proper, proper horror film. The the Super 8 tapes are each terrifying. Like, as terrifying as each other. Um, the one where there's a car and they're all, all the family's trapped inside it and it's set alight. And the soundtrack is really just... It gives me shivers thinking about it. It's so effective. So, so, so good. It spawned a disappointing sequel. Um, which we don't need to talk about. But yeah, the first film is up there with some of the best modern horrors. Uh, it's made for $3 million and grossed over $82 million worldwide. Written and directed by Scott Derrickson, who directed Doctor Strange. Oh. And yeah. It stars Ethan Hawke, as I mentioned, uh, Juliet Rylance and James Ransom, who you'll know from It Chapter 2, who played Eddie. Yes. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's, there's very little blood. In Sinister. Very little blood and gore. And it's the case with a lot of Blumhouse films. There's not a lot of gore. It's cheaper, isn't yeah, it? Yeah. But it's still just as effective. Um, there's almost no swearing, Ivan. There's no sex. But it's still got an R rating because of how scary it was. Yeah. That's not often you get that. And the, the, I mean, the scenes on the um, on the double eight reels? Super eight. Super yeah. eight, excuse me. On the super eight reels are quite graphic. Though. Yeah. I mean, yeah. a family being hung from a tree mm. is the one that mm. I remember. Yeah. Um, this the so lawnmower this, scene. Yeah, it's the kind of film I could have imagined being made in the seventies. Yeah, yeah, you know where yeah. they pushed a lot of boundaries. Yeah, something like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, mm. where that was essentially all shot on film and looked like it could have been real and played out the same way as those tapes in Insidi- in yeah. Sinister. Sinister. Um, you did that thing <laughs> you were going to accuse me of. <laughs> but yeah, and Ethan Hawke is so good in this film. Isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. And it was a bit of a career resurgence yeah, for him. Yeah. And He's big friends with Jason Blum. Oh, is he? Yeah. Was he in another Blumhouse? He was in The Purge, right? Of course he was in The Purge, yes. So, yeah, so that's, that's Sinister. I, you know, I hope they give it another chance. I hope they make another film and make up for the disappointing sequel. Um, but, I mean, if they don't, then they've got a classic. 
there anyway, a modern classic. In 2010, Haunted House Films was formed, and they were the ones who released Insidious, the River TV series, The Bay, and Lords of Salem. Their <laughs> collaboration with Rob Zombie that we turned off after 20 minutes. Oh, we did. I watched it once when it first came out. I didn't mind it, but watching it this time around, Sherry Moon Zombie and her fucking dreadlocks can just fuck off, in my opinion. <laughs> It wasn't a good look for her. He had like a witch spitting in a baby's face. Like, give me a fucking break. Uh, spoiler alert, at the end you get to see a bunch of priests wanking. It's like, oh, oh Rob God. Zombie, get a fucking life. I really don't like Rob Zombie anymore. I'm not a fan of his You know films. what? House of a Thousand Courts and Devil's Rejects, yes. I, I enjoy them both. Don't know if I'd enjoy them as much now re-watching them. But the rest of his films can all fuck off. And I know we have some Rob Zombie fans listening. I'm not judging you for liking him, you know. You like what you like. We're not here to judge anyone. No. We're just here to judge films. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, they went on after this to release Paranormal Activity 2, Paranormal Activity 3, Insidious 2, Dark Skies, and Oculus. We enjoyed Oculus, didn't we? I really liked Oculus. We, we talk, we're going to talk about that a little more full on later on because it was, it was released in America in 2013, I believe, but I've got it here for the UK release date. It's 2014. We're going to do a segment on that. Before we do, let's talk about the Purge franchise. From 2013 to present. I I think a lot of people may agree with me on this. I think the first Purge is the weakest one. Whoa, that was my third favourite. Was it? Second favourite. Wait, hang on, hang on. The first Purge, the film The First Purge. The or first Purge number Purge one. film. <laughs> purge number one. Okay, I'm going to say Lena Headey Purge. Lena Headey Purge, okay. Even Hawke Purge. Even okay. Hawke Purge. Excuse me. I just realised what I did then. Um, let's get back on track. <laughs> so, the first... Even Hawke Purge. One, purge number one, I think, didn't do what I wanted it to do. Do you want to know why? Why? Director and writer James DiManico... DiMonaco, whatever, uh, wanted the film to be more like Escape from New York, but had a limited budget and limited time to film. So that's why you got your little clips at the start of people purging and the rest of the film was all in one place because it didn't have long to film. Okay. And that's why when that hits off and we've got the purge anarchy, things went shit, batshit crazy. Yeah. That's great. That's but it was not, still left That's not my blood. problem. Yeah. That's not my problem. <laughs> but just so you know, that's why. That's why. Yeah. <laughs> Don't want to hear no goddamn excuses in that <laughs> Um, but it didn't do what I and what I think everybody else yeah. wanted it to do. Yeah. I wanted escape from New York. I wanted people going batshit crazy on the street for at least one film. Yeah. For at least one film. That's what I wanted. And, um, I get them all mixed up actually. <laughs> um, but I think Anarchy's my favourite. Yeah. Yeah. The Purge Anarchy's fantastic. I quite liked Election Year as well. Yeah. And the first Purge, obviously, was more predominantly African-American. Yes. Um, focused. And that was fantastic. Really yeah. Film. I mean, and it, it brought up a lot of... Modern um, issues. and A lot of modern issues. And it had Marissa Tomei in it. Too. This, is, this is the thing. The Purge is the most political thing to come out of Blumhouse. Yeah. And I read a really funny tweet once that Jason Blum actually retweeted, where someone said they were disappointed with the first Purge because they went political. And Jason Blum was like, what fucking films have you been watching before this? Like, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> the third film's called Election Year. What the fuck? <laughs> um, but the first Purge, uh, Ethan Hawke Purge, was yeah. made on a $3 million budget, made $89.3 million at the box office, uh, directed by James DiMonaco, starring Ethan Hawke and Lena Headey, spawned four sequels. One of them is upcoming, called Forever Purge, and a TV series... We watched the first you season. You did. That was really good. We really enjoyed it. Yeah. Um, it, it's not a bad film. The Purge, mm. Lena Headey Purge, is not a bad film. It's just a... It's just a home invasion home film. Home invasion yeah. film, which you know, I've seen which is a fine. Lot of home invasion films. Yeah. What I haven't seen is really people going batshit crazy. Yeah. It's a great premise. Such a fantastic premise. Mm. And I'm glad that we got the sequels yeah. to see that fully formed. And that would make a fantastic video game as Absolutely. well. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it was based... Well, it's, it's pretty much Grand Theft Auto. Pretty just about much. the police. Yeah. <laughs> it's all based on an idea from a road rage incident with uh, the director's wife, 
where she said, oh, God, she had a road rage incident, someone pissed off, she's like, I wish there was one day a year where you can just go and kill everyone. And then the purge was made. Are you excited for the, what's the one where people can eat oh, whatever they God, like? The, the, no, no, it's when they can drink and do drugs, because it's oh, legal binge, for one day. The, the binge. binge. The binge can go fuck itself, that looks awful. <laughs> But yeah, so The Purge is a great moneymaker for Blumhouse and a great franchise. It's, you know, it's probably the most consistent. Yeah. Uh, that again, and Insidious. That again, and Insidious. it's a little repetitive. Yeah. Oh, the Purge election year is, is pretty much a copy of Purge Anarchy. But yeah. it's what we wanted. It's, yeah. it's batshit crazy. Uh, and I'm glad the, the first Purge really handled it really well with a whole different side of it. Because that shows how it all began. And it's, it's really interesting. It was great. It was really good. Yeah. So, 2014 saw the release of Paranormal Activity, The Marked Ones, The Purge Anarchy, Jezebel, Ouija, Whiplash, The Town That Dreaded Sundown, Best Night Ever. What's that? <laughs> um, I think it's a Rebel Wilson <laughs> comedy oh. where they all go on a night out. You know, oh, okay. female hangover oh, nice. as every film was being called at that time yes um, but let's talk about one of the greatest films of all time let's talk about Whiplash released in 2014 I oh before we do oh, they also signed they also signed a first lot deal with Universal Pictures that year and formed Blumhouse Tilt but let's talk about Whiplash <laughs> yes what was Whiplash released under was it a separate it was Blumhouse. It was I think it's maybe Blumhouse Tilt, but yeah. I wait, it was Blumhouse. Yeah. Uh, produced by Jason Blum. And this won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actor for J.K. Simmons, Best Editing, and Best Sound Mixing, as well as being nominated for Best Picture, Best Writing uh, Adapted Screenplay, and uh, also won Golden Globes and BAFTA Awards. It's a really wonderfully made film. Yeah. It looks great. And I'm I'm glad it won for editing and sound because they're they're fantastic. Yeah. Um, J.K. Simmons is brilliant yeah. in this film. Absolutely he's he's great fantastic. in a lot of things, but this could be career best for him. J.K. Is... Simmons was one of those guys that never had a lead really. Mm. He was always that guy in the film, and you'd watch, and he'd pop up, um, and you'd be like, "Who's that?" And then you'd IMDb it. Oh, it's like J.K. Simmons. Yeah. I know he was in the Spider-Man, and it's quite famous for Spider-Man films. Mm. Um, I can't remember who it was. J. Played. Jenner Jameson. Okay. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> can't say the, that. The Spider-Man, yeah. Yeah. He was in the Spider-Man, weren't the he? Sp the <laughs> Spider-Man. My favourite film, The, the Spider-Man. Spider films. <laughs> Shut the fuck up. <laughs> I'm making a good point here. Carry on. So he was always that dude that you would see and he'd be in the film for about five minutes tops and you'd be like, oh, it's J.K. Simmons, great, let's carry on with the rest of the film. And then you watch a film like this and you're like, oh, fuck, this guy can act. Yeah. This guy can really fucking do the deal, you know? He's great. <laughs> J.K. Simmons is more terrifying than this than both Ouija films put together. Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> he is so intimidating and... Oh, he's just a fucking horrible piece he's, of shit. He's awful, awful, but so expertly played. Yeah, that you you do feel a bit sorry for him. Yeah, you you feel a connection. It's to hard it, to even argue he's with an him. Asshole. It's hard to argue because he's pushing these people to be great. Yeah, but at the same time, he, he's driving them to. I mean, spoiler alert to someone to their demise. Yeah, you know this is insane. It's, it's he's not a well written character. He's not a character for us to love. No. But it's a character that you kind of... Want to see more of. ...understand yeah. in the end. You understand where he's coming from. He's just doing it the wrong way. Yeah. Um, and you still feel... Uh, not a con And connection to mm. him. You do feel a connection to him mm. because he's so expertly played. Yeah. He could have just been a one-note cunt from the mm. very start. And, you know... But the performance really, really takes it somewhere else and, then and you the have, whole film yeah and you have Miles Teller who's also fantastic yeah he's good and, and yeah. you, you slowly see his character turn it into J.K. Simmons' character as the film goes on he becomes such an arsehole because he's so dedicated to this course of being you know of, of J.K. Simmons pushing him and it, it's so the character development in that film is amazing and it, it's one of those films where if you describe it to someone mm. if you went round to the lad's house or, or the girl's uh, you said, oh, film night, I've got this film. It's about this guy who really wants to be a great drummer. Yeah. 
a lot of people are like, what? What's yeah. that? Put it in, you watch it, you're like, oh, that's fantastic. Yeah. Because it, it's a film that resonates with yeah. everyone. Yeah, you don't have to like jazz music to enjoy it. No, because the story resonates where everyone can relate to some mm. part of this story. I, I think it's fantastic. I think it's really, yeah. really fantastic. And that's why it's my favourite Blumhouse film. Yeah. Um, I watched this at an Odeon screen and scene where you, you don't get to know what the films are until you go and watch them. And it was a new film coming up. I had no idea what it was about and I was just gripped mm. from beginning to end. It, it's been one of my favourite films since. Uh, it was made on a budget of 3.3 million. Wow. Yeah. That's fucking low for something so well made. I mean, obviously, you're not having big action sequences. No. It's very um, singular locations. And, you know, I, I don't think J.K. Simmons cost that much back then. No, Mark's <laughs> telling my head, though, because he was, he was big in the whole... Uh, you had the Fantastic Four, he was in that, and... Um, well, the know, Fantastic the, Four. Don't you start the, the Spider-Man. fucking flop. <laughs> Um, yeah, we've got to stop saying duh before superhero films. Uh, <laughs> and he was in the that teen uh, novel, whatever the fuck it was, in, Insurgent something, I don't know. But he was he was in a lot of films. He was oh, very yeah, well known. Yeah. So, of course. <laughs> but it's so well known, you have no idea <laughs> yeah. what he was in. It grossed 49 million, which is one of the, it's one of the lower earning yeah, Blumhouse films, and it's also the but lowest got... earning film to be nominated for Best Picture of oh, all time. Okay. Oh wow! Usually, the nomination helps the gross earning, mm. but maybe I, I think maybe it was one of those films that was released quite early on. Yeah. Um, I think Silence of the Lambs. It may have changed now, but Silence. Obviously, you've got streaming services mm. now, so it's changed. Uh, but Silence of the Lambs was the first ever Best Picture Oscar winner that had been released on home yeah. video before it won. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing, that all the Oscar buzz films are released in the same period. Yeah. Makes it much easier to watch them all before yeah. the ceremony and make sure you're choosing the right one so you can have a, a valid point. But when Whiplash, correct me if I'm wrong, I'm not sure, but may have been released earlier yeah, in the I'd year. I'd say so. Because no one actually thought mm. it would have Oscar buzz. Do you know what? I think it may have been released after. I seem to remember it watching it quite early in the year. Oh. Maybe released, I don't know. But it was written and directed by Damien Chazelle, who went on to direct La La Land. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was shot in 19 days, made from a short film idea. 19 days? Yeah. Oh, wow. And Mars Teller did all the drumming. Nice. So, Come on, this is where it gets interesting. Whiplash, Oscar-winning masterpiece, one of the greatest films of all time. Ouija was released in the same year. <laughs> Ouija. <laughs> Directed by Styles White. Written by Juliet Snowden, starring Olivia Cook and Lynn Shay. <laughs> Winner of the worst film at the Chainsaw Awards. Made for $5 million, grossed over $103 million. Wow. Um... Yeah. They released this on Halloween in the UK. So, that's very see close. I've seen it at the cinema on Halloween. Yeah. I, we watched this quite, re- I watched this quite recently for the first time. So bland. Yeah. So dull. Awful. So boring. Cliched. Crap. Yeah. Absolute shite. Yeah. Hated it. Hated every second of it. Because I felt like I'd seen the film a million times before. Who hasn't seen a fucking film with a Ouija board in it? Like, it's pointless. Up. It's pointless. Ouija boards have been around fucking decades. The whole film exists because Olivia Cook, who, by the way, I love Olivia Cook. She's a fantastic actress. She didn't deserve this. It all, it all happens because she found a Ouija board in her dead friend's bedroom and instead of putting it back like a normal person and going on with her life she decided to make something out of it yeah. and then we get this massive elaborate backstory with Lynn Shay uh, poor Lynn Shay and this horrible performance she provides in this and it's, it's awful it's so bad it is, it's so lazy it's so lazy it takes everything that's wrong with modern horror that probably put you off from modern horror and puts it into one film it's Throughout the whole film, it does that thing that I fucking hate. And that's 
every single fucking character in this film knows they're in a horror film yeah. before yeah. anything's even yeah. happened. Switch on the fucking lights. It's your own house. You live there. You're not investigating. You're just going through your own fucking house. Turn on the fucking light. I've lost track. Well, someone who's listening... So many films do that. One of our listeners, please tell me how many times Chris has had that rant. (laughs) Fucking hell. I fucking hate it. I really do. You are in your own home. You live there. Turn on the fucking light. It also has no teens playing teens. No. (laughs) So it's Grease. No (laughs) teens playing teens. It's Hasbro Studios' first horror film. Oh... (laughs) Uh, Why did it take so long? Why did it take so long to have a Ouija board film made you by don't Hasbro? Need, you don't need a whole film about a Ouija board. But the Ouija boards came out in like the 70s. You could have had a film in the 80s that was fun, camp, over the top, horror, silliness based around a Ouija board for Hasbro Studios to grab a few million dollars. Well, I'll have you know, cast members experience supernatural happenings after filming. Of course they fucking do. <laughs> of course they do. We're going to jump a few years ahead and do a little comparison to Ouija Origin of Evil. Released in 2016, made for a $9 million, gross over uh, $81 million, so less than the first film. Uh, Whereas the first one was nominated for worst, well, one worst film at the Chainsaw Awards, this was nominated for best. Uh, it's also nominated for best horror film at the Saturn Awards as well. Uh, written and directed by the fantastic Mike Flanagan, uh, co-written by Jeff Howard, and starring uh, Elizabeth Reese, Lulu Wilson, and uh, Annalise Basso. This isn't great, but how the fuck did they take such a piece of shit like Ouija? And turn it into a passable film. Because they watched Ouija. <laughs> realised. Everything that was wrong with it and said, rather than make a sequel, let's just try again. Yeah. <laughs> let's yeah. just try again. Let's take the Lynch show story. Take, take a little bit of it. Yeah. Yeah. And connect it. So this is really a prequel. It's a prequel. So it's set in 1967. Mm-hmm. You know, as the first film should have been. Yeah. <laughs> when Ouija boards were actually fucking relevant. <laughs> <laughs> and, and created something that was good. Yeah. Was Why was she doing a Ouija board in the first film? Why? Why was she randomly doing a Ouija board on her own that led to a suicide? Where the fuck did she even get a Ouija board what? from? <laughs> what the fuck? But it actually creates some characters <laughs> that I care about. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah. The best part about this film is the non-horror elements. Yeah. It's, it's the, the story of this family. It's and, the family dynamic. Yeah, and finding coping mechanisms for the father dying. It's yeah, it, it it works during those moments. I actually, I'm going to be honest. The horror moments were the moments where I kind of switched off. Yeah, and that doesn't happen very often. Yeah. but they're the kind of moments I was like, yeah, we've seen yeah. this before. She's pulling a silly face. Yeah, <laughs> the child's possessed. We get it. I've seen all this. Been there, done that. Seen it. Oh, she's got a mouth as wide as the fucking Mersey Tunnel. <laughs> great lovely special effects whatever it was that family dynamic that i really appreciated and the the connecting to the father who may who spoiler alert isn't the dad it's actually a fucking demon Mm. but coping with the loss of the father was actually the interesting part yeah Yeah. Uh, and um it's weird because it feels like the first two acts are directed by mike flanagan but it feels like the third act is directed by, by the old uh, Styles White from the first film. Yeah, it, it drags it. so much. It drags. Oh my god! It feels like it needs to make up for the lack of horror at the beginning. Yeah. and then you get an uh, overcrowded, uh, cliche-filled yeah, half an hour or so that feels exactly. like three hours. It was. It was. I was disappointed with the yeah. end because I had enjoyed it so much up until yeah. that point. And Mike Flanagan took a lot of care in this film. You know, he added the cigarette burns into the film, shot it digitally, but added cigarette burns to make it look like it was the 60s. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, the, the costume designs, the set designs, all looked fantastic. The soundtrack, it yeah. really had that 60s feeling. His original cut was actually 130 minutes long and 40 minutes were cut out. So I think that last act was probably the studio saying, okay, guys... People aren't going to watch this. It's too serious. Let's throw in a few jump scares of CGI. Yeah. I would have preferred a romantic comedy. 
Based around the Ouija board. <laughs> it's the first Hasbro film to be well-reviewed and well-received. Hey. Well, Battleship wasn't uh, well-received. Uh, Lin Shay's scene... <laughs> Scrabble the musical wasn't well-received. Lin Shay's scene in this film was moved to post-credits because when they did test... When they did test screenings... Dying. People, people hadn't seen Ouija because <laughs> it was shit, but made loads of money somehow. But people who forgot about that film's existence thought that this was an insidious prequel. <laughs> Oh, shit. <laughs> but good job, Mike Flanagan. You, Wait, you, you made it, something of a piece was of shit. Wasn't it a uh, Nightmare on Elm Street? Yes, it was, yeah. Yeah, that was the teacher <laughs> in Nightmare on Elm Street. Speaking of Mike Flanagan, Oculus. So, directed by Mike Flanagan, co-written by Jeff Howard again, uh, starring Karen Gillan and Brenton Thwaites, made on a $5 million as an original film. And it made over forty-four million at the box office. Oculus is a great film. It's a great film. Yeah, it's actually very, really very, clever. Yeah, very well made. Yeah. very interesting premise. Mm. Um, I hadn't felt like I'd been there, done that, no, seen it all. No. Um, some really great performances, actually. Yeah, and you, and you get the whole um, from the child actors as well. Yeah, I yeah, have to say. yeah. They were really good. Uh, you get the whole. Um, is it a ghost? Is it someone that's just gone crazy? Yeah. Sort of feeling about it. Well, it keeps you guessing. Yeah, I wish they'd kept that going a little longer, mm. actually. Um, whether the Karen Gillan um, uh, character was crazy or not. Ooh, I mean, depending on how you look at it, it could still be left open because of what happens with the brother at the end. Yeah. yeah. He could have so, been imagining yeah. all of that, you know. Uh, it's very well written. Very well written. You could tell Mike Flanagan is a Stephen King stan. Uh, yeah, yeah, massively, yeah. Um, this was produced by Triple H, the wrestler. I was, wasn't <laughs> it? Yeah. Um, it, people came to Mike Flanagan and said, we will back your film in 2006 if it was found footage. And he refused. That wouldn't have worked as... I no, guess, I, that no. wouldn't have worked as found no. footage. So what would you have done? Just those cameras facing the mirror, just watch those the whole film. No, fuck off. Oh, God. Is that what they wanted? Yeah. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, he came up with the short, sent it around oh, the festival no. uh, circuit, and they're like, make it found footage and we'll fund it. No, that makes no sense. So I'm glad he waited and did yeah. a proper, proper Because film. you couldn't have had the the, the, the child part, the, the bits when they were kids. Mm. That wouldn't have worked like that. Oh, no. No, no. no. That's, yeah. No. That wouldn't have worked. No, um, this is a great film. Stephen King's a big fan of it. Yeah. Which is some achievement for Flanagan. I mean, he obviously went on to direct Doctor Sleep. Stephen did, King loves he, Stephen King did. loves Hush. He's a yes. massive Mike Flanagan fan. Uh, he's always telling people to watch his films. Then we go on to 2015, where we got The Gift, Sinister 2, The Boy Next Door, a film with Jennifer Lopez getting a psychotic toy boy, <laughs> which is entertaining trash. Unfriended, Area 51, Insidious 3, Creep, The Gallows, The Visit, Green Inferno, and Gem and the Holograms, and Paranormal Activity, The Ghost Dimension. That is the year where Blumhouse was like, do you know what? Let's release any old shit. <laughs> <laughs> there's some great films, but there's some there where they're like, do you know what? Fuck it. Let's just make some money. I try not to listen too much to what people say and what critics say, but I was so looking forward to Gem and the Holograms. Really looking forward to it. I was you gonna, haven't seen it. I was going to find it out. <laughs> that, that's the point I'm making. I was going to find it out and watch it. You know, I was really looking forward to it. And then it just got destroyed. And I was like, mm, yeah. I don't really want to pay money to watch this so yeah. i didn't watch it i haven't still haven't seen it uh green inferno one of the better eli roth films yeah eli okay. roth's a piece of shit though so we don't need to talk about green inferno mm. instead let's talk about our guilty pleasures unfriended and unfriended dark web is that a guilty apparently, pleasure apparently everyone fucking hates them luke despises these films <laughs> Um, it was like, it was, they were good. Yeah. I, I think the characters weren't very likeable. Oh, no. But they weren't all. meant to be. At all. They were, do you know what's funny? In the first film, they weren't meant to be unlikable, but they didn't know they weren't meant to be unlikable until the end. Oh, until after the film finished, they didn't know that was going to be the twist. They hated it. They, they were, they were the ones behind it all. Yeah. Spoiler alert. Directed by, um, Leo Gabriazzi. 
I don't know. Written by Nelson Greaves and starring Heather Sosserman, Shelley. H- do, do you know what? No one's heard of these actors. They're not no, proper actors. Sorry. It doesn't matter. <laughs> it was made for $1 million and grossed $62 million at the box office. The sequel was made for the same amount of money. Oh, yeah. All you That's doing insane. Is, all you're doing is filming a TV, a TV screen, a computer screen. Well, it was all shot in one go. It was initially shot in one go, one take, all the way through. Oh, wow. And then it did a few reshoots here and there. Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, sh- I'm sure that the special effects would have needed mm. a bit of setup. All filmed in the same house. Yeah. Different rooms. Oh. It, it's insane. Biggest opening weekend debut since The Conjuring for an original horror film. It's a really great concept. Yeah. It is a really good concept. Yeah. Very modern, very interesting. I don't think I don't think it's a terrible film. No, no. It's, it's. I think I think it's more most memorable because of what it is. Yeah, yeah. Rather than how uh, well made or well acted yeah. or anything like that. If you watch this as just mindless horror, teens being picked off one by one like Final Destination, then you'll enjoy it. Yeah, but you know. I can see how people wouldn't like it, but uh, you know it's just it's just mindless fun. It is, and sometimes that's all you need is yeah. a little bit of mindless fun. And, and Dark Web wasn't completely terrible. Um, it was the same thing. It was again, the same thing. It was the same really. thing again. Yeah. Um, it's it's hard to say that one is, you know, much better than the yeah. other one because it's it's virtually the same film yeah. Yeah. over again. And you know the whole web because obviously it's the whole film is shot. On a desktop of a laptop, mm. um, through Skype, through various different apps, making you jump when you they get messages through. There was a film shortly before this. I don't know how what the time difference is like, but there's a film called The Den that I think did it better. It's, mm-hmm. it's a better film. It wasn't Blumhouse, but it was a better film. But I don't know who's responsible for it. Whether it's The Den or Unfriended, but I've probably Unfriended because it was got it was bigger. It yeah. made more money and. If we didn't have that, we would have the likes of Searching, which was Searching was incredible, a really good film. Uh, host, host recently, that's very host. You know, yeah, yeah you, you wouldn't get these films if it weren't for Unfriended. So, yeah. thank you for creating webcam horror. Um, the visit, I adore the visit. You don't. I, d- I no. I know you didn't hate it. I don't hate it. My problem is, is that I can't let things rest. <laughs> so. When I knew it was an, it's an M Night Shyamalan film, I yeah. knew a twist was coming. I didn't know what the twist was, but I sat there and all I could think of was, mm, "Wonder what the twist is," and I guessed it. <laughs> and guess I guessed it, it way too early, <laughs> and it spoiled the rest of the film because I was just waiting for the twist to be announced. So it it made the film kind of boring then, because I guessed the twist too early. Surely you can admit it's a fun film. As it's far as found footage fun films go. Film. It is a fun film. It, it's it's alright. It's okay. It's it's essentially Hansel and Gretel in found footage. Yeah. Um It was made on five million <laughs> Yeah. But like we've I've got this film, it's Hansel and Gretel found footage. But enough people have seen it. Anyone who's has probably seen it. <laughs> I got this film. It's five Cinderella. Million dollars, made on five million dollars, grossed ninety-eight point four million, and single-handedly relaunched M Night Shyamalan. Yes, it's certainly not his worst film. No, no, The Village takes that. Yeah. No, no, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. Um, the Lady in the Water. Oh, is that? Takes that. Jesus Christ. What's the one with Mark Wahlberg? Oh, the, the Happening. I, I haven't seen it. So oh, okay. But um, last day of Bender. This this has a really good cat. Speaking of good uh, child actors, uh, Olivia Dijon and Ed Oxenbold, they do a really good job in this film. They do actually. They're, they're really good. Yeah, because of child actors can be very good or very bad. Yeah. and the actor, the the grandparents as well. They're they're really fucking creepy. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and Catherine Hans in it. With her, a with neglectful her, mother. <laughs> with a boyfriend doing the hairy chest contest. <laughs> um, there's three different cuts. Comedy cut, horror cut, and a mix of both. The mix of both is what we finally got. And it works as a comedy and a horror film. It has its funny moments. Okay. No? Do you not agree? Mm-hmm. Well, here's something more towards your side of things. It was nominated for the best and worst horror film by Chainsaw Awards. Best and worst. Yeah. <laughs> How does that work? Uh, 
I don't know, but it was also the first. It reminds me when Amy Irving was uh, nominated for an Oscar Best Supporting Actress for Yentl, and then she was nominated for a Razzie for the same year for the same role. That always makes me think, oh, how does that even work? Speaking of Razzies, this is the first M. Night Shyamalan film to not be nominated for a Razzie (gasps) since The Village. Oh, wow. (laughs) Shit. That brings us to, trigger warning, The Gift. We this is the last one we watched before recording. Well, yeah, this. we just watched this actually. I'll I'll, uh, I'll get this out of the way, then you can get on with it. Uh, made five million dollars, made fifty eight point nine million. Uh, written, directed, and starring Joel Edgerton, uh, also starring Jason Bateman and Rebecca Hall. Let rip. Oh, I was well <laughs> disappointed by this film. It's the same as the um, was the visit where I guessed the twist far mm. too early. And I, I was, really didn't want to be right about it, and I was. Yeah, let's give a spoiler alert. Spoiler so alert. The twist is essentially this guy who's stalking the family uh, rapes the wife in her sleep. Um, he drugs her and rapes her. And the twist is that her baby is his. Yeah. Yeah. Just ick. Yeah. Really just real nasty twist. Um, it... It just plays off really uh, cringy, really. Mm. Just horrible. Just a horrible twist. Completely unnecessary. And the moment this twist's announced and she gives birth, she becomes this secondary character. And her husband, who is a complete prick for the rest of the film, suddenly becomes our protagonist. Yeah. And she just... (sighs) Rape should not be the twist in a film. It shouldn't be a twist like that. It should be the focus of a film. It should not be the twist in a film. It's not a throwaway twist. Especially when the moment this twist is announced, she doesn't doesn't actually say a word. Yeah, the film doesn't give a shit about her. Doesn't give a shit about her. Doesn't. She doesn't have a word to say after this twist is announced. And... Her husband isn't even going to tell her. Mm. He isn't even going to tell her. Just real, just a real nasty end to a, a very average thriller. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I did not enjoy but it. But it's so subtle. It is so subtle. And to that point, it didn't need that twist. It didn't. It, it doesn't make any sense. No. I just, it just felt cr- cruel. Really crass. Yeah, yeah. It felt crass. I didn't like it. No. And then there's the other twist uh, where... Apparently, Jason Bateman's character lied about uh, the stalker in the film being molested so that people would think he was gay and it would ruin his life. And then that led to him being beaten by his dad. Which is kind of understandable because you're talking about quite a while ago. It was when they were kids. But again, this is a sort of film. Why do we need a twist about someone lying about someone being molested? Yeah. Yeah. It's... It, there's very little care. And then you're like, the only person that I liked in the film was um, the, the wife, his wife. Mm. And then she was just, bye. Yeah. 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 She was just, she was just there for a device for the twist. And I just thought that, that didn't sit well with me. Didn't no. like it. So, uh, is that what you, Sorry, is that what you've got right. to say about the gift? Is That's that... it, yeah. Okay. Yeah. So in a in a horror cult trash of a first, uh, we're going to do what uh, tape cassettes did back in the day and ask you to turn to side B. And we're going to release a part two episode because we didn't expect this to go on so long. Oh, wow. Uh, so we're going to end things here. We'll release this the same day. Don't worry. You don't have to wait to listen to it. <laughs> um, maybe releasing at separate times during the day. Uh, but this is the end of part one. Uh, stay tuned for Blumhouse part two. Bye.